welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. We're going to continue on with um, the Discipleship Redux series. Uh, The word redux means a revival, a return to. And we believe that God is putting his hand on discipleship. Um, And he's saying, I want you to make this a central part of everything that you're doing, not just a facet of church life, not just a part of something, you know, it's not just a something that is an add-on, you know, once you're, you've done, you do growth track and then you do this thing, then you do this thing and then we're going to disciple you and then, you know, you'll outgrow it and you'll be fine. But actually that every element of church life would be based around discipleship. Uh, And it's not a new thing that God's doing. He's been doing this over the last 2,000 years. Jesus started it, and it's continued since. And and it's something that has been happening. Uh, There are incredible disciples and disciples in this church, and we're just going, actually, we want to make sure that it's not just for some, but it's for everyone. And so that's why we're focusing in on this series. Uh, This is part four. I think Simon's going to be finishing it off next week. Um, And... Naughty water bottle just about fell off onto the guitar pedals. That would have been sad. Simon's going to finish it off next week. Um, And so it's good. It's going to be fun. Um, So last week I defined the word disciple using Jesus' words. And um, one of the goals as a Bible, as as someone who tries to teach rather than purely preach, is to um, leave people with two options at the end of the sermon. Uh, follow and obey God, what God has said, or go into active rebellion um, towards God. And so that are the kind of the two options I wanted to leave you with last week, follow God or go into active rebellion. Um, I hope you, you know, chose to do the first of those two. Um, but using Christ's words is quite a good way to make sure that you really prove your point because he's, you know, he's quite important to our faith. You know, we're not called Christians for nothing. But um, Jesus says in Matthew 28, uh, uh, go and make disciples uh, of all nations. And then he defines the disciples of people who have been baptized uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they have been baptized, brought into the, the covenant people of God, which is the church. They have been baptized in and are following the command. The, the, and, and he says, and teach them to obey all I have commanded of you. And so a disciple is someone who was brought into the family of God. They're brought into the covenant people and they are following Jesus. They're following the commands that he gives. They're actually doing the things that Christians do. Now, obviously this is not a, uh, you know, I get saved and then all of a sudden I'm doing all of the things Jesus says. Um, because you, you, you can't earn your salvation and so you're not going to be able to do it all. So you have to rely on his grace. Uh, you're not going to get everything right. Uh, discipleship isn't a line you cross, but it's a direction you're heading. Um, and, and so you, you start following Jesus and maybe in your life today, maybe you're, you're new to faith and there's just a couple of things that you're following him in. But my, my hope is, is that as you grow in the maturity of your faith, you become more and more like Christ. And so that's what discipleship is. It's a lifetime process. I just wanted to say that in case anyone walked away being like, flip, I'm not a disciple. Damn, I thought I was and I'm not. 
Um, but I, I was reading, um, sorry, I'm just going to get some water. I always think I don't need water and then I get up here and I'm real thirsty. I'm going to kick that over, so I'm going to put that back on. Um, I was reading about discipleship this week and I found this um, great quote from John Piper that really highlighted something that I was thinking. And so I thought instead of uh, you know, saying it in my own words, I just use his. And so this is what John Piper says here. He says this, The word disciple in the New Testament does not mean a second stage Christian. There are some ministries that are built around this distinction that is just so unbiblical. As if there were converts... And then there are disciples who are little stage two Christians who learn more. And then there are disciple makers, the stage three Christian. Now, all of those groupings are linguistically foreign. That's a big word to the New Testament. A disciple in the New Testament is simply a Christian. It says this in Acts um, 11. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Everybody that was converted to Jesus was a disciple. Disciple was, it seems, not a favorite term for Christian as time went by. Paul never uses the noun or verb disciple. In fact, neither the noun disciple or the verb make disciples occurs anywhere in the New Testament outside the Gospel and Acts. So I think what is important is not the terminology, but the reality People need to become Christians and people need to be taught how to think and feel and act as a Christian. That is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, one who embraces him as Lord, Savior and treasure. I think he, he addresses it so well that it's not that we, we, we convert and we, we, we're a Jesus follower and then we, we graduate from that and we become a disciple and then we do the discipleship process and it's a nine-month course and I get a certificate at the end of it. And then we graduate and we become disciple makers and now we're the, the top of the heap. But actually all three of these things are encompassed in the Christian life. Now, I, um, I played golf yesterday and um, I was bad. I was, it was very terrible. When I went out to play nine holes, I didn't mean that I wanted to get nine on each hole. Um, <laughs> It wasn't quite that bad, but it was, I'm not far off, okay? So um, if, you wanna, if you're good at golf and you're good at teaching people, come talk to me because I want to be better. I really, really want to be good at playing golf, but I'm not good at it right now. Um, yeah, I, I know that Terry has a golf cart and I'm going to hit him up about it. Um, but the little that I do know is when you go out to play golf, you, you take a bag with clubs, okay? So I know that much. You take a bag of clubs um, and... In your bag, you have different types of clubs that you use to play each part of the game. So each, each um, place you tee off, this is how much I don't know. I don't even know any of the terminology. I'm probably offending all the golf players in the room. But, but and this is very simplistic, but you essentially, there's kind of three, three groups of clubs. Now you could probably split it up into more, but you've got your, your drivers, um, and they're good to get it a long distance. Not super long distance if you were me yesterday, <laughs> just being real with you. Um, yesterday it was more like, you know, I just made it past the ladies' tee. Um, <laughs> that happened once, or, or twice. 
Um, but you, you, there's a drivers to, to, to go the dist, to do the big distance. And then you have um, irons to, um, not the, you know, for ironing your clothes. That's more the iron that I'm accustomed to because um, of my passion for fashion. But um, you've got irons to help move it down the, the, down the fairway. That's, that's a correct term. Down the fairway um, or out, out of the trees, you know. Um, and, then, and, and then once you get onto the green, so you use those to, to kind of do the, to get it up onto the green. And then once you get onto the green, you're using a putter to put it in the hole. Um, and, and, and each of these groups are important. You can't play golf without one of them. Uh, you actually need these three different elements of, the, of, of your, your toolkit as a golfer to, um, do people say golfer? Yeah, they do, eh? You say golfer? Yeah. You need all of these elements as a golfer to effectively play the game and, and, and to actually get the ball down in less than, you know, nine strokes. Um, and so I, I, was, I was thinking about that as I was playing golf yesterday and I was like, it's kind of like this whole, this, this distinction that we make because we like putting things into nice categories as Christians when it comes to our, we follow Jesus and, and then we become a disciple and then we become disciple makers. But actually it's more like in, in each day, I need to be someone who uses my driver. I'm following Jesus. I need to be someone who is being discipled. I'm using my irons. And I need to be someone who is discipling people. I'm using my putter. And I'm actually using all of these elements, not, not over the course of my life, but over the course of each day, I'm using these three elements to actually be an effective Christian. Because here's what happens. If we only follow Jesus, we'll become heretics. We, we actually do. You see this all the time. People who say, you know what? I, I don't need, I'm not under any man. The Lord is my shepherd. And they go, I'm going to just do my own thing. I just, I, I go into my prayer closet and I talk to Jesus and I don't go to a church because all of the churches are wrong. And I'm a Christian and I love the local church, but I don't go to any of them because they're all bad. And, and so I'm just, I'm a Christian. I do it by myself. And these people end up, they end up heretics or false prophets or, you know, like just that, that I'm, I'm trying to think of a nice word, but I don't have one, you know, a little bit kooky. So if we only follow Jesus, if we're only following Jesus, we're going to end up heretics. We're going to end up in a place of heresy. That's kind of like the, 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 the man who builds his house on sand. You know, the, the, the one who builds his house on the rock is building his house on a solid foundation. The one who's building his house on sand, what's sand? Sand is little pieces of rock. They're like pet verses. You know, like I've got this, this scripture and this scripture and this scripture that I like, and I'm going to put them together and I'm going to build my whole thing on this and I'm going to end up a heretic and my house is going to fall down. So if we only follow Jesus, we'll become heretics. But if we don't follow Jesus, we'll build a cult. You know, if we're actually not following Jesus, we're going to build a cult. And maybe your cult isn't in, you know, in the west coast of the South Island and there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in the room. But maybe you just got a cult and it's your, you know, your little connect group. And, and you're the key figure and, and, and everyone's gathering around you and you're building something off your personality. You're building it off yourself and, 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 and you're discipling people and you're making disciples. You're doing all those things, but you're not doing it in, in Jesus's way. You're not following Jesus. And so you're building something around your own image. 
So if we, don't, if we only follow Jesus, we'll become heretics. If we don't follow Jesus, we'll build a cult. If we can't be discipled, we will never grow. If, if, if you won't let anybody disciple you, you will never grow. So much of the New Testament is these stories and parables of Jesus being like, oh, the vine, we're going to cut that back. You know, this thing, we're going to cut it, throw it into the fire because it stopped growing. And, and in our lives, if we, want, if we don't have people who can speak into our life, who can correct us, who can lead us, who can teach us and go, actually, hey, the way that you're talking to your wife that's not cool. You actually need to, you need to be a better husband. Or the way that you, you deal with your kids, that, that you actually need to, you need to speak to your kids better. Or the way, you know, you've got this thing you keep talking about on Facebook and you keep slagging the, the government in like mean words, using mean words on Facebook, uh, which is actually outside of the Christian purview, just so you know. I know people think that Christians are allowed to do that. Um, I think we think that we can do whatever we want on Facebook, but, um, you know, and you actually can go, oh, that thing, the way you're talking there, the way that you're using harmful language, that's, that's, not, that's not the way Jesus would be doing it. If you can't be discipled, you won't grow. So if you, if you only follow Jesus, you'll become a heretic. That's bad. If we don't follow Jesus, we'll build a cult. Also bad. If we can't be discipled, we'll, we'll, we'll never grow. And if we never make disciples, we will, become, we will act elitist. If we never make disciples, we will act elitist. And to be honest, I'm just being real with you, this is a problem that I think I can probably see in myself. This is, and I'm just being real, because I, I love gathering information. Like I love gathering information and thinking about things and, and all of that kind of stuff. I love thinking about um, you know, different things. I love studying theology. I love reading theological books. And, but if I just am, am, am absorbing all of this information and I'm not actually grounding myself by making disciples, I'm going to think I'm a better Christian than, than the other people around me because I know more. Or, or I've spent more time in my prayer closet. And so the rest of you puny people, you don't know Jesus. You, haven't, you, you don't know what he's like. And so we actually, we have to make disciples, otherwise we'll act elitist. And, and actually, out of all of these, we might be like, well, that's probably the best one, being an elitist. You know, we don't want to be heretics. We don't want to, we don't want to build a cult. We, don't, we, we want to grow. But, you know, I mean, if I'm an elitist, you know, whatever, it's not bad. Uh, it is so antithetical to the gospel. Jesus was not an elitist. He was not an elitist whatsoever. You look at the life of Jesus and it is servanthood, it is a servant-filled life. He washes the, the feet of His disciples. He hangs out with the prostitutes and he preaches the gospel to them. He's, he's, he's laying his hands on the lepers and the outcasts. He, he, he spends all of his time stooped low with, with the least of these going, actually, I'm going to make myself available. And this is what uh, it says in Philippians, that, God, that Jesus didn't count his equality with God as something to be grasped for his own advantage, but he humbled himself. That, that Jesus Christ, who had every right to be elite, he did. He was God incarnate. He is God incarnate. He, he, he's on earth, the full power of the Trinity. He is on earth, God incarnate. He could call down a thousand angels in each moment, but he humbled himself. He became like a servant, even till the point of death 
on the cross. And so I'm just being honest with you. I think that, that this last one might be just as bad as any of the others, if not worse. And so Paul says this, I really want to just focus in on this last one, making disciples, being disciple makers. Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so Paul is, is somebody who has really fashioned his life. The Apostle Paul, this is not your friend Paul or your neighbor Paul. The Apostle Paul has fashioned his life in a way that he is He's following Christ. He's being a disciple. Um, we see Paul's discipleship journey in the way that, you know, with, um, with Barnabas, uh, the way he's dis- Paul gets discipled into being um, uh, 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 the, the, this incredible man. And he says, I want you to imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. And Paul's like, I'm going to live my life in a way that you can actually follow me and, and you're going to become a disciple in the process. And so I want to look at um, a passage from 2 Timothy. Um, now, 2 Timothy is, um, is one of the last books that Paul writes. Um, I, I spent way too much time um, doing this end of the research this week when I was message prepping. So I, I got really interested in the idea of not, not the New Testament timeline as in when things happened, but actually when the books were written. Um, and so I sp- did a bunch of time, did a bunch of research, putting this we graph together. I, I realize I don't have graphic design skills. This was made on pages. Um, but you see here, James is the first epistle written, uh, which is helpful to know. Um, and then we've got Paul, Paul starts writing some letters around the same time Matthew and Mark, are, uh, the, those gospels are written. And then we see there's a good chunk. Paul does a lot of heavy lifting in these few years. And I just want to encourage you, maybe there's, it feels like, you know, you've just got, you're gearing up for like five years of, of power. Man, look at, look at what Paul did. And, and this was the space of about six years, all of these letters that he wrote, um, and so never count yourself out. If you're like, man, I've got probably got five or six years left. Look at what Paul did. Um, and so I, I just want to encourage you, go for it. Go for it. Um, that wasn't in my message. Uh, and then Luke gets written here and Acts gets written here. And then 2 Timothy is over here. Um, now I've got Hebrews in yellow. I know controversial. I think it's probably at least a little bit Pauline. So I've, I've put it in yellow for my graph. You can do whatever you want if you make your own graph, but I made this one and so we're going to do this. The thing that, was, that interested me, and this is a side note, is how late John, John's writings are. Like it's surprising to me that, you know, almost 10 years after Jude is written that John's, John's writings still end up being accepted. But it shows how... Um, it, it's good to actually read all of John as like a, a whole story, like because John's writing all of these things with intentional, he's showing different aspects of God. And so I'd encourage you to, 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 to use this as an example and go, actually, I'm going to read John, first, second and third John and Revelation all together and be like, I'm going to read these as a collection of books. Same with Acts and Luke. I'm going to read these as a two-part volume. But here's the, here's the main point. Second Timothy is the last letter that we definitely know Paul wrote. He might have written Hebrews, but we're not going to get into that because I don't have a great argument. I just want him to have been the writer. Um, as I think Wayne Grunham said, how could we not include Hebrews into the canon? It's just so good. 
Um, but 2 Timothy is probably his last writing. And so I want to focus on this passage that he finishes with. He, he writes this random passage. Last week I preached from a prologue. This week I'm preaching from like the, out, the outro. Um, he preaches from, he writes, and I think this is helpful for us to see the, what it can be like as a disciple maker. This is what he says. He's writing to Timothy. He says this, do your best to come to me soon. He's saying to Timothy, look, um, as, his, as history tells us, he's in prison, probably in Rome, waiting to be executed by Nero. He's in prison, probably more like house arrest is, you know, what it would be for us. But he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I don't have much time left. Come to me soon. I've got things I want to say to you. I want to, you know, I want to spend a bit more time with you. And this is one of the reasons why. He says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Man, he just threw him under the bus. He's like, For Demas, that guy, he's, he's in love with this present world and he's gone off to do worldly things. And so you can see that Paul is a little bit bitter about Demas there. I think he's probably a little bit frustrated maybe at, at what's going on. And then he says, I don't know how to say, say his name, but I'm going with Cretans. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to, to Dalmatia. Now, we know Titus, he, he, he likes Titus. Um, he, he's, he, he's friendly with Titus. And so I can assume from the way that he writes these in comparison with what he writes about Demas is that they're off on mission, on assignment in these other places. So we've got an example of someone who's just, he's gone off and he's done his own thing. Uh, he's in love with the present world. And then we have these two guys, Cretans and Titus, who are off on ministry. Luke alone is with me, verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Luke's with me. And I, I, I imagine, man, what great conversations with the writer of Acts and the Gospel of Luke and, and then um, and then Paul, who writes all these letters and the combination, I'm like, man, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. That and Jesus on the road to Emmaus, those two places I'd love to, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that situation. Obviously, there's probably not a wall in the road to Emmaus, but that's right. Anyway, and he says, get Mark and bring him with you. Man, we're getting the band together. He's like, I've, I've got, we've got Paul here. We're going to get Mark as well. Uh, Luke's here with me. Let's get the band together. We'll get the New Testament writers. We're going to have a writing summit. It's going to be fun. Um, for, bring him with you, for he is useful f to me for ministry. And I, I don't know quite, the phrasing's not clear whether he's saying he's useful because I'm like, I need somebody to minister to me because I'm like, I'm beaten and broken, I'm at the end. Or whether he's saying, I, I, I've got more of the gospel I want to share. It's probably the latter, knowing Paul. He didn't seem to care too much about his body. He wasn't really in the self-love camp. Anyway, Titus, I have sent to Ephesus. This is another man who's been sent out for on mission. When you come to me, this is, this is interesting. This is really what caught my eyes. When you come to me, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Tauros. And I'm like, I get it. He's like, I, I want my favorite cloak, please. And as a fashion boy, I get it. I'm like, you know, on my deathbed, like, hey, can you please bring my white Crocs so I can, I've, I've got something comfortable that I can, I can walk around in. I want to be executed, you know, I want to lose my head to the, in the Crocs so at least my feet are comfortable in that moment. And I'm like, I get it. He's like, I want my favorite cloak. I want it. I want, I want you to bring it to me because either, either it's cold or maybe he's just like, I really like it. It's cool. Bring the cloak. 
Also the books. So he's like, I want some light reading. Uh, I'm sh- sure it's probably not Harry Potter. Um, and above all, the parchments. And in my mind, I'm just like, the, these parchments are New Testament. I, I, I just, for me, I'm like imagining that these parchments are like New Testament original copies. And that for me, I'm just like, I'm, I'm excited. And then he says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Ooh, smoky. Be aware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So in this passage, this kind of obscure passage that is kind of like the genealogies that we skip over and we're like, oh, we're not worried. We see the cost of discipleship. We actually see the cost of discipleship. And I'm going to show you the next verse and we're going to really see it in a moment. He says, look, Demas, he's gone he, for, the, for the love of this present world. He's abandoned me. He's deserted me. He is gone. The other people I have trained up, the people I, I, I got ready for ministry, they are off doing other things. I'm in my final moments. Paul, I'm here. I've only got Luke left. Most people have gone. I've trained them up and they have left. I've trained them up, not for my sake, not, not because I want to build my ministry, not because I want to have the best life group, not because I'm trying to do my thing, but for the sake of the gospel. And here's the thing. When we make disciples, people will leave. When we make disciples, people will leave. When we make disciples, people will leave because they'll, they'll, they'll grow and they'll be, become better. They'll grow in maturity and Jesus will use them. If, if you keep them, you know, like little babies, Jesus is going to be like, well, we just keep, we'll keep them under your care because you're doing such a good job caring for them. But if you grow them, Jesus will use them for ministry. He will send them out to preach the gospel. And, and, and you see here that we've got one example of someone that's gone off and done the wrong thing and he's deserted and he's gone off for the love of the present world. But most of them are off doing God's work. They're, they're, they're doing things for God. They're actually doing incredible things. And even in this letter, look at Paul. He's still addressing Timothy, discipling him. He's saying, look, Alexander the coppersmith, he, he did great harm. Beware of him. Be careful of him as you come. And so even in this, he's still discipling. Check out this next verse. This is what it says here. For at my first defense, when he's standing before the governor, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. No one came but all have deserted me. Is anyone feeling encouraged today? May it not, but here's, here's, here's where, where is his attitude change. May it not be charged against them. Paul is okay with the fact. He actually is okay with the fact that his guys that he raised up are off doing ministry. He's okay with it. Here's why. That's not his hope. See, I, I, making disciples is not your future savings plan. It's not the way that you're going to build your great next ministry. It's not the way you're going to save for your future. It's not for your sake. It's for the gospel. But here's the reward. Check this out. But the Lord stood by me. Paul had realized his hope wasn't in the people he had discipled. His hope wasn't in those people 
but it was that the Lord would be with him. But the Lord stood beside me and strengthened me. As I, was in, as I was standing alone, the Lord was with me, giving me strength, so that through, through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He's still focused on the message. He's still focused on the gospel. The Lord, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's not really the language of someone who's about to be executed. The Lord is going to safely bring me into his heavenly kingdom via execution. To him be the glory forever and ever. Now, this is someone who has weighed up the cost of discipleship, who has done the hard work. He has devoted his life to training people for the sake of the gospel. And in in the end of his life, he's not even bitter when no one's standing around him, probably because they were worried that they might get the chop too. Like that's probably the reason Luke wasn't there because he's like, I don't want to die yet. I want to keep going for God. And he says, it's fine. It's okay because the Lord was with me. Jesus was with me. He was with me at the very end. He is going to keep me safe. And to Him be the glory forever and ever. And so here's the thing. Discipleship is going to be hard. It's not, this is not like an easy, let's just do this. Let's build, it. Let's build something awesome here and we'll just do it for ourselves. Um, and we won't send anybody out and we won't, we won't grow anything. We won't, we won't extend the kingdom. We're just going to do our own little thing. This is not what that is. This is we are going to build people who are going to do incredible things for God. If we disciple well, there are churches in this room. If we disciple well, there are going to be politicians and leaders in this room. If we disciple well, there are going to be evangelists seeing thousands saved. If we, if we do this well, if we disciple well, in 10 years, everyone that's here won't be here. It's just, it's just the reality of it. But Jesus will stand by your side. He will vindicate you. You're not building this for you. You're building it for him. And so there's a cost. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to cry and say goodbye to people. We're going to have to send people off. But it's worth it. Because to Him be the glory. To Him be the glory. Forever. And ever. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.